Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Julio Ramos, a 17-year veteran of the fire service, a lieutenant with Orange County Fire and Rescue on Squad 3 as a special operations squad company, founder and leader, instructor for Fireground and Special Operations Concepts, LLC, creator of Everything Saws program. Julio has a passion for rescue, hazmat, USAR, and RIT. Julio teaches and lives by his motto of destiny favors the prepared. With that being said, I present Mr. Julio Ramos. Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Hey, Danny, I appreciate you uh, inviting me over. Um, so I guess we were talking about, like, how did I start? Uh, I got 17 years, but this started since, like, I was, like, two, three years old. I mean, like, uh, if you want to talk about, like, how I started in the fire service, uh, I still got pictures of up in New Jersey where I used to live at, uh, playing with fire trucks and, and eating cookies. Uh one of my best friends and mentors that I grew up with up in New Jersey. He's not a battalion chief over there, but I remember when he was still a pro on a ladder company and then, you know, five, six years old uh, up in grammar school, uh, his fire station or his firehouse was right behind my old school. So when he was on tour, I'd go see him and the guys would let me go see the fire truck and, you know, spend a couple of minutes before I had to walk home. Um, I then at, at 13, I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and I enrolled in a magnet program of high school that had the fire science program. Okay. So we, we were exposed to like going to different firehouses and talking to different fellers and doing firefighter training while in high school. Um, in Jacksonville, they also had the fire explorer program. And I think that's what really got me to the fire service because at 14, I was riding back then the eighth busiest engine company in the United States or the busiest one in Jacksonville, engine 31. And my mentors there, I, I remember the first day, uh he's like Julio um this isn't a fire station the firehouse is the family we're gonna expose to you we're gonna expose you to things that you never even thought of seeing as a teenager um we don't you know we don't hide or sugarcoat anything obviously if something makes you uncomfortable you let us know we'll put you back on the rig we'll talk about it then send you home but uh welcome to the fire service uh go clean some dishes <laughs> and I'm like that is <laughs> that so as an explorer you're supposed to uh, just observe, right? You know, but um, you know, because as a teenager, you're 14 years old. It's not like it's not even a junior firefighting position. It's like an observant position. Um, but because I also spoke, I can read, write, and speak Spanish. And where we were at, there was a predominantly decent sized Hispanic population. They were teaching me. I was doing patient assessments at at 13, 14 years old. Um, they taught me like all the IV catheter sizes and colors, how to set up innovations and stuff like that. So then once I graduated high school and I went to EMT, paramedic school and fire school, I would ride back with those guys to do my clinicals. And they'd be like, oh, you're a paramedic school now? Next patient's yours. Don't mess up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how my life started with the fire service. Uh, pretty much as a little kid playing with Legos. All my Legos that I started as a little kid were all fire trucks. So okay. it's just been a big dream of mine. And right I. Graduated high school in 06, 2007. I was already on the job. Wow. Got okay. September, September 07 was, uh, September 2007 was when I got hired. Okay. All right. Um, what would you say the culture is like within your department now regarding pride training calls and camaraderie? Because it sounds like you were set up for success from the word jump. 
Oh, that was, uh, you know, everybody has a a, a a personal experience, per se. So I can't speak for everybody. Like, I was set up for success because I had really good mentors. I had, you know, I, and as a little kid, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Sorry about that. No, you're good. But the, right now, the department has undergone some tremendous changes, especially in the training realm. Uh, a lot of the guys that are, like, the company officers that are setting up training now, they all came from the special ops realm. Um, actually most of them, like one of them was the one that taught me a lot of some of the squad stuff, you know, and then the other one, uh, he came after my generation of squad tech. So like, you know, we have like three generations. Um, I, the training is phenomenal. I mean, never in a million years would I even hear guys trying to go on Saturdays and Sundays to the fire academy to do training. And now we are like, right. um, lieutenants, firemen, everybody alike, they're, they're all trying to get gear up. And, and even on days where there's no training, like no multi-unit drills, nothing, they call a chief and be like, hey, can we go to the fire academy? We want to go, you know, do drafting or, or do something on the drill tower. And they're doing it. Um, nighttime training is a thing. Like we've been doing stuff from like 6 to 10, you know, at, at from the department level for like the trucks and squads. And then obviously when the daytime multi-unit trainings are done, guys are putting in to do nighttime training as well on other things that are not required. Um, so it's big. Um, and I mean, we, we do a lot of interagency training as well within the other departments, which years ago, that wasn't even a thing. Right. But now trainings now with all the surrounding departments, we're doing it. And we use like another department's training center as well. Like it, it, the, the camaraderie within that, the, the, the mutual aid has been second to none. Um, Funny you talk about camaraderie, like how is the culture now? Uh, yesterday I was working overtime and the boss on the engine, he just recently got promoted, but he, when he got hired, I think he was like two classes after me. So we kind of grew up in the same generation. You know, he, he, he got like 15 going on 16. I'm like 16 going on 17. And uh, we were just talking like the camaraderie, like how, how we all had good mentors as bosses when we got hired and not so good bosses that we learned from as well and how things have changed generational gap you know he has prior military experience me i don't i just came straight from high school to the fire service because that's all i knew mm -hmm. um, but like the brotherhood of the company officers taking care of the firehouses and, and you know like family like getting to know each other's families and and knowing about your kids their kids it's it's second to none. It's actually really good. From what years ago, you know, when we got hired, there was still brotherhood and stuff like that, but we still had a lot of the seasoned old timers, you know, like the guys ready to get checked, ready to retire. Right. The department is less than 40 years old. Before that, they were 14 fire control districts. So pretty much within the last 10 years, there have been a big retirement wave. So, like, we still have – probably two to three left within the whole department that have close to 40 years each, uh, if not longer, that were here from the pre, pre-consolidation days. Okay. Like, once those guys leave that one of them, including a fire chief, but one of them is also a Lieutenant. Once they leave, like that's a big, you know, wave. When we started looking, even me at close to 17 years, that puts me in the top 20% of seniority on the job. Right. Because we have such a, a, a huge wave of retirement of people that reach their 25, 35 years of retirement. So it's now the new generational, but we're still keeping that gap of, of, of camaraderie. Like the stuff that we knew, remember back then, a lot of it's happening even tenfold now. Okay. Uh, for, uh, for those that don't know, can you tell 
tell us a little bit about Orange County first. How, like, how many stations? We're forty-five stations right now. We're close to almost fifteen hundred personnel. Um, there's seven battalions, uh, three squad companies, twelve trucks and quints. Um, and we're putting a couple new stations. I think like three more new stations this year or in the next coming years. Um, we're in the heart of Central Florida. Like we're we're, we're unincorporated Orlando. We're unincorporated like the all the surrounding cities. Whatever they didn't incorporate, it's the county department. Okay. Um, so we pick up everything else. Uh, but we're we're in the heart of the tourism alley, Sea World, I Drive. You know, that's all that we cover. Plus, we cover the ghetto as well. Like I, I work in Pine Hills and. That's a well-known area for for the high crime rate and fires and the good stuff. So we have a good mixture of urban, rural, and suburban, which is really, really cool. Right. Yeah. That's definitely unheard of in, in most big, because it sounds like, you know, a, a big metropolitan department. So for you to be able to get all three of those in one, it's, it's yep. pretty rare. You can you can either work in the high-rise district or you can go work in, in Fort Christmas area, which is all tanker shuttle evolutions, or Zellwood, which is all tanker shuttle evolutions. Or you can work, like I said, Orlo Vista, Pine Hills, which window bars, hydrants everywhere, but you got window bars and and, and uh, booby traps and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Okay. No, definitely. Um, what keeps you personally invested to stay positive and loving this job? <laughs> that's that's. Uh, I would tell you this: every year, something changes that makes it more positive. Um, to be honest, right, lately, right now, it's been me being a dad, uh, uh, being a family man. Mm -hmm. In a million years, I thought I was going to ever have a kid. You know, frankly, I never wanted a kid um, just because how today's society, like the, what things are going on. I never Trust wanted me. to go someone right. with that. But uh, at right. the same token, it is an honor to upbring a son in this world. And um, plus, like get him to the firehouse and then and, and expose him to other the, the fire wives and fire husbands and all the other kids. And, you know, he's growing up with a whole different family as well. You know, not just the blood family. Right. Um, But the biggest thing, too, I'll tell you, everybody goes through a certain dark spot in their career. Like a dark, like when you start kind of like questioning, is this really worth worth my time? Is it for me? Whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, what kept me motivated then was I realized I needed a new challenge. And that's when I took the promotional test. Like I recognized like, hey, you know, as a firefighter, I met the most resistance or the most quota of things that I want to do or change or whatnot. Being a company officer where I can set the tempo, but at the same time be more of a servant, that's what got me more motivated. Um, so like now between being a family man, um, being a, a, a family man at the firehouse as well, because I'm a big believer the firehouse, like those guys know everybody at the firehouse 42 knows that, I'm never off duty. My phone number is always, my phone is always there for them, right? Like, um, we do a lot of hanging out on and off duty. Um, you know, we take care of our own, and I think that's what keeps us motivated because when we get to see a group of people of all walks of life um, talk to each other, hang out uh, when things are going sour, whatever we handle it, we handle it right there in house or whatnot. It, that's the best feeling in the world. And then, last but not least, what really keeps me motivated as well is. Being surrounded by like-minded uh, individuals, not just within the department, but within the fire service. I mean, my best friend is Stephen Eller, and you just interviewed him not too long ago. Right. And I got Chris Carter up in North Carolina, Rob Hunt, Maitland, like these guys that actually helped me. Dara Hennessy, the founders, helped me found FSOC LLC. 
And every time we teach and every time we get together and we talk about experiences and all walks of life and they keep me accountable and vice versa. That's what keeps you going. It's having people not just within the department, but outside and outside of all walks of life. That's what keeps you motivated. Okay. Um, uh, well said for sure. Um, how can you explain to us how your love, because between you and Steven, the love of saws, like how, how did that come about? Because, you know, most people, you know, most firemen love nozzles and, and, and stretching hose. And I mean, you know, everybody has a niche, but how did saws become? Because here's the funny thing. I recently listened to the an interview with um, RJ from Capital Fire Training with Nick Peppery. Yep. And he mentioned that they got on they got on the question about battery powered saws and whatnot. And he was like, "Man, I'll tell you what, if, if I have an issue, I'm gonna call my boy Julio up. I'm gonna Facetime him, show him this, and he 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 can walk you through it." So, how did that come about? Your whole saw love. So, all right. So I'll preface that at 35 years old, I am from the Xbox generation. All right, okay. and what I mean by that is like, hey, I didn't grow up would a trade or anything like that, right? And, right. and this, this is all going to play into effect because, I again, I graduated high school. I had to learn how to cut the lawn in, at the firehouse. Like, I learned a lot of hard life experiences my first couple of years on the job. When I got hired back then, it was just like, oh, here's a chainsaw. Here's how you crank it up. Here, give me a tension compression cut. That's it. We never really went on how to cut hoods of vehicles, how to take care of gable vents, window bars, any of that stuff, right? So then, you know, as I started getting, taking all the classes and the special ops and using saws and stuff like that, and I'm like, man, all these things are kicking my butt because we don't get to practice it enough. Then I get into special ops and I realized it was actually a book, um, two books. It was two rescue company operation books. One was from Chief Ray Downey and the other one was from Chief John Norman mm -hmm. um, that talk about like how special operations, you know, how to set them up and all that, but like bring me up to the history of FDNY and how those guys all had a trade and are all mechanically inclined and stuff like that. Um, which I was very much not any of that. So I started taking, you know, more classes, more like truck ops classes and stuff like that. I went to FDTN. One of the best classes I've ever taken was truck one and truck two from over there. But even then, like, you know, they're teaching the skill. But we never really went down to the foundation that the, like the, before all that, like, oh, you know, this is why you start the saw a certain way. This is why you hold the saw a certain way. It's not just, hey, we're doing this because um, we got to get the smoke and heat away. But people need to, like, what I noticed as a deficit nationwide was that nobody talks about, hey, this is why when you're wearing an air pack and you got a ladder, this is why your ladder needs to be at this angle if you're going to hold this saw because otherwise you're going to have low back compression issues, so on and so forth. So then I met, uh, I started asking some questions uh, through the truck board training uh, uh, page, group page. And Seth Taylor from Louisville, like that guy's a big mentor of mine. He's the one that actually, he is the originator, I want to say one of the first saw classes out there. It's called All Saws okay. in Texas. Um, Hid and, and the guys from Wichita and, and all them, they do a phenomenal class. So he invited me to take his class up in, uh, in Louisville one of the best classes because he had guys from the fuel companies themselves, BP fuel talk about why, you know, like the ethanol free fuel, like how are you supposed to pre-mix if you're going to pre-mix, if you're buying ready mix fuel, what's the benefits of them? They had like the whole hour and a half of nothing but like taking a part of saw, cleaning the saw, 
tension compression uh, using dominant, non-dominant hand on, on logs, then the roof operations. And then before anything else, you just start rolling rafters. Like they had a, a true body mechanical before you even went to the tactical portion of skills. Um, so then I realized, you know, me being part of this generation and knowing that the basics now, back to when people say back to basics, I want to say even now that's including power tools because almost everywhere in the United States, you're going to find someone with something beyond a set of irons. You're going to see mm -hmm. some sort of saw or stuff like that. Um, and they're being used in so many different applications. So that's when, you know, through the help of uh, 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 Captain Taylor, uh, Seth Taylor and a bunch of other guys, you know, I started making my own thing from within my own department for just from my own guys. And then from there, I realized there was a need. And I started talking more like on vertical vent. So then I met Brian Matson and, and William Knight and Jason Juanitas, all these guys. And we started talking more saws and stuff like big things on chains and research and how the bullet chain came into effect. Okay. And then they're like, all right, you know, from then on, I'm like, hey, you know what? We need to make a class. So uh, I created a company and started the class mostly to protect ourselves because I wasn't expecting to make anything out of it. It was more like, hey, you know what? We're going to do something. I'm going to bring guys from all around. Not so much to teach other people, but under the premise of them teaching the class, it was more my my selfish needs to teach me. You know, I, I pretty much created a class so people can teach me. Right. And I did logistics. Um, and then that, hold on, puppy, over here. That that became a thing. We started teaching the classes all around. We had these guys teaching at their wheelhouse, you know, the guys from the West Coast teaching vertical vent, guys from the East Coast teaching forcible entry and stuff, the saws, garage doors. My guys from Florida teaching hurricane windows and garage mm -hmm. doors had a thing with saws. Um, but then we also had a little portion of saw maintenance. That I realized that within the departments everywhere, we started asking around. And people are like, oh, yeah, this is how we got taught to turn on saws and stuff. Like, oh, turn them on, let it run full board and shut them off. Or, hey, turn them on, let it idle and shut them off. Which, by the way, both those answers are e equally wrong. Um, both ways, you're either going to lean out the saw or flood the saw. So I went and took through, again, through Seth Taylor. He invited me for another class that steel uh, uh, USA created down there in Texas. Mm -hmm. It's like an eight-hour diag diagnostic class on saws, um, like how to diagnose some problems, some of the tools that you should be carrying. Not necessarily how to repair, repair them, but at least to talk the same lingo. So when you say, oh, my saw's out of service, well, don't just say my saw's out of service. Well, why is that out of service? You could tell them like, hey, I think it's a compression issue or it's a spark issue because I've done these street ways of diagnosing these issues. So... And from there, I went and took an online small engine repair class through Stratford University. And then I went from there. So then from there, we started focusing more as well on saw maintenance. Eller's the same way. Eller, he's a tinker. Um, you know, he's quiet. When you give him a Mountain Dew and leave him by himself, all of a sudden, things are seeing things uh, uh, breaking apart and putting back together. Right. So he started taking a couple classes. We talked about a lot of um, we talked about a lot of saws and stuff like that. He started helping around just through JJ uh, Jason Janitas at that time met Eller, and you know at first you know quiet in the background take some classes. Then from there I realized, bro, this guy 
he he's my American twin, you know? Um, and ever since then, that's how we can to love. And it just, I guess, like, I've given him a couple saws. I came in. I don't have time to, like, to fix these saws. If, mm -hmm. if you, want them, you buy the parts, you fix them. So now between him and I, we got almost a, a total, like, 40 saws between the oh, and Goto. Um, because, like, we'll go to... Uh, okay, puppy. We'll go to eBay or a fire department to donate as a saw, especially an older saw. We were rehabbing right. stuff out there. Like, hey, we could keep it. And that's how we started loving it. Okay. More saw love through... Okay. More saw work. Um, every time we get to go on a roof, that's I think that's what really sparked our love for saws because after doing like eight hours of roof work, then it's like, oh man, we gotta clean up these saws. Uh-huh. So our love for saws started happening. Like, well, how lazy how more efficient or lazy can we get in cleaning these things up? So we bought like a parts watcher and we went from like taking two hours of cleaning a chainsaw to like 30 minutes per saw. You know, because we're not using solvent-based cleaners under pressurized, you know, like a parts washer and right, right. lots of extra equipment. Oh, yeah. That's how we just got to it. I don't know. I, it just kind of fell in our lap. Okay. But for us, I think it really fell mostly on the fact that, hey, um, back to basics now has to include saws. Draw over here. Right, right. It has to include saws because it's no longer just like, oh, you have to be very good at a set of irons and everything. Well, with the new security devices and everything out there, you have to start using saws. Mm -hmm. Hurricane resistant windows. The state of Florida is, is notorious for hurricane impact glass and stuff like that. That can you get it with a set of irons or, or, or hand tools? Yes. But I'm going to gas myself out trying to do that when I can equally be just as efficient and continue doing other work if I had a saw with me. Right. Right, and I'm sure your your first two area has uh, security bars on the windows and we things have of that nature. First, second, third floors, we got window bars. Uh, we got those security doors as well, like you know, like the like porch doors, gate gated doors. Um, I mean, we've had yeah, mod like homemade. I, I remember one house. Not only they had window bars, but the window bars were inside, not outside. Oh. And in the house, the in the the bars themselves, each individual bar was screwed into the sill. It wasn't like the traditional outside where you just have the two top and two bottoms on the wall. No, each particular vertical bar was individually screwed up and down. Okay. So you would definitely would have needed to take a, a, a saw to make life easier and faster. Right, right. No, I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, so with you being recently promoted to lieutenant, kind of goes into my next question of besides that, what are your ultimate goals? Wow. Uh, Job-wise, promotional-wise, I'm it, man. I'm a, I'm at the epitome of my career. I don't see myself promoting anywhere past that. Because um, once you pass lieutenant, you're on a you're on a pickup truck. You're either cap, a safety captain, or a battalion chief. And um, I, I'm still every day getting challenged uh, at, at, with being in special ops. Every day, when you think, even with all the training you get, you're gonna get an interesting call. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we have uh, amusement parks. We got all these rope rescue calls, the hazmat calls. I mean, we we're running legitimate hazmat calls with with uh, uh, law enforcement agencies and stuff like that. Why would I want to leave that, you know? And I still get to go on and fight fire. That's the biggest thing too. Like, I I still set the tempo on residential fires. I told my guys, if I got to supervise you guys, we got a problem. I want to have my own room and my own place to pull ceiling and whatever. On a commercial, yeah, and then I'll be a boss and, and supervise. But as my body, as long as my body can take it, mm -hmm. why promote? <laughs> 
just it's just not in my realm of world yet. Um, but within the my professional goals in the meantime, it's more localized to the firehouse. It's like, hey, get everybody up to speed. So not only can they help me within the business aspect of things, but just within the department aspect of things, like get everybody on the same level playing field with solves. Um, and then also like continue continue making the firehouse where it's self-sustainable, whether whether I'm there or not, the firehouse still runs cohesively. You know, like things are still getting done, nothing is getting missed. Those are my professional goals in the meantime, away from the business. Um, yeah, because I don't see any promotions anytime soon. Okay. I'm what I'm doing. It's way okay. Too but what triggered? Because I mean, you were backstep for for a while before you got promoted. So yeah. what what finally triggered where you like, you know what? I'm gonna take this next step. Um, I don't know, man. I, that I'll tell you. That goes back to saying like everybody goes through a dark dark spot in their in their life. Right. Like I went through a dark. Um, I went through a dark part uh, in my career where. I was just getting mad at the world, like not really having fun anymore. Um, I don't know. Like I, I remember one time I ran a major entrapment call where like cars are going down the embankment and stuff like that. Yeah. And I walked out instead of having like the typical like, oh, man, we finally got a job. I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to go do a tie back and then, you know, start bringing people up. I was kind of more just pissed at the world. And I think it's because there was a lot of times I was getting shut down from ideas and everybody kept saying like, oh, well, you know, a lieutenant or above. It, or the ones that really affect changes on the fireground or, or or in the department, and I hated that for the longest time. I'm like, because as a fireman, you also like there's firemen out there that nationwide mm -hmm. that helps affect major changes within the fire service, not just their local department. Right. So, but like I also recognize I can stop Maverick within my world or my department. Like if you do need to affect some changes, you know, if you can't beat them, join them kind of deal and then just play the play the game i guess that's also when i realized that hey uh also a lot of the old timers are leaving uh -huh. and, and i recognize that uh once some of the old timers were leaving especially in the special ops world like i knew that like, hey us being in the top 20 30 you know 30 percent of the department with seniority of some sort of seniority i recognize hey maybe it is time for me to promote because if not and especially when I took the test, there was a big influx of, you know, the whole science driven firefighting and stuff like that. And, you know, there was that there was causing a lot of division within the fire service nationwide. Right. Um, well, let me promote because I still want to be able to save some of the value of traditional firefighting as well as uh, um, be open minded to the new, not necessarily new ways, but like the scientifically proven ways, if you will. You know, like things things that we've already known through experience that science finally either debunked or, or, or proved. And that's what got me to promote, I guess. Okay. So that kind of leads – it's kind of a, it's a segue into my next question. And it's only – it's your opinion only. Yeah. Do you, do you believe in order to affect change within your department you need to promote? Uh, yes and no. I, I, think some, I think sometimes promotions do help. Uh, not that you necessarily need to promote – I think, especially if you have someone that's within rank that has the same ideas as you and they can help you, then you don't need to promote. But when you don't, you sometimes may need to promote. To right. And one thing I recognized as well was that um, even whether you promote or not, any changes may not be a sudden rapid change. It may take years. Right. Absolutely. Which 
we're okay with that. And you're going to sometimes make changes where you're not going to see it in your career. Mm-hmm. So as you retire, you get to see the other people finally catch up and really, and then you can actually leave with your head held hot, hot head, head held up high saying like, Hey, you know what? I was a part of that change. Right. No, I totally well, get it. And that's the thing. Cause a lot of firemen, you know, they want change and they want it now, but most of the time it's not the case. It's, it's, years from now before yeah. the change is seen and and the bigger the department is as well that's right. because first you have to be able to say hey buy-in mm-hmm. from upper management but before you get buy-in from upper management you should be able to have some buy-in from like a a, a, a beta testing a group of people to say like hey we've already tried this you know it's not just oh hey i took class we need to do this it's like hey i found all this information i researched the information we tested with a small group of people. Now, Chiefs, we need your buying from it. And then from there, okay, hey, here's how we have to budget it. And then find all the legal loopholes or legalities of, of getting equipment, whether it's through grants or whatnot. So that's what it takes forever. And I think if people can understand the process, hold on, if we can understand the process, then it'd be like, okay, they can understand why it may take a long time and um, take a long time. And then from there, uh, enjoy the process. Okay. No, definitely well said for sure. Um, and in your opinion, what key elements or factors are needed to make a good firefighter, regardless of rank? Uh, the biggest thing I'll tell you that is required in the fire service. Um, yes, everybody needs hands-on training. We need, we obviously need to have a, a training mindset, training culture, but we do need to read as well. I mean, all great leaders are readers, right? So, mm-hmm. or, or everybody has to read because having a good foundation of history of where the fire service has gone before you, where is it going to go after you, where is it presently, not just nationwide, but within your own department. You have to read for sure. Um, Know the history behind you, know the history ahead of you, know the present history. But also because hands-on training helps you with the house. But when you read it, especially when you delve, it helps you with the why. It helps you give you an understanding. Um, Having a critical, uh, um, obtaining being proficient at critical thinking, making critical thinking exercises, team building exercises, that stuff requires great uh, a, a, to be a good firefighter because at the end of the day, your first year or two, it's all about uh, the company officer kind of tells you what to do. Mm-hmm. And you do it, so you're getting better at, at, at the skills. But after your second year and you start building the, the, the a cohesive crew, then you kind of already know what to expect. And then by then you already should have master skill. And then when like an audible is called or, Hey, like for me, I'm a very trusting individual. Like my guys, Hey, we're, we're supposed to be force multipliers, divide and conquer. If you're the outside vent man, or you're going down range in a level a where I can't go because I'm in, I'm in the, the command role. I have to be able to trust that you have critical thinking skills to be able to uh, um, fix any issues that may arise. Right. That we didn't foresee or be able to communicate so I can assist and, and helping you guys out and helping them out. Um, physical fitness is always a big thing, right? Um, yes. But, but within physical fitness, not even just physical fitness, because as, as your career, uh, as your career goes, you're not going to be the same guy at the age of 40 as you were at 18, 19, no matter right. how much you try. That's just, but part of physical fitness is not, is mental fitness as well. Right. Um, having mental resiliency uh, within the whole PTSD community and CISM and therapy dogs and everything going on, which is phenomenal. And I'm glad that we're doing it. But one thing when I talk about mental resiliency, mental uh, um, fitness 
is that we need to be proactive and do like counter conditioning with it. Like uh, um, as firefighters, we need to be able to help new and up and coming firefighters understand not the physical rigors of the job as much as well as we used to in the past, but more of the mental side of things, like almost do pre-exposure to bad calls, you know, um, and say, Hey, within this, let's teach you how to have healthy out, healthy outlets. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's what makes good farming is having that mental resiliency, having a good outlet when you do see these calls, meaning like, Hey, being able to talk amongst your crew members, having outside hobbies that don't necessarily do with the fire service. And if they do do with the fire service, it's having it with really good people that keep you accountable and, and continue on, you know, like me having Eller on my background and stuff like that, always by my side. Um, that's what I think makes a good farmer. Um, Cause everything else and heart, because we can teach you skills and he, like, not everybody's going to be a hundred percent proficient in certain skills. And we get that, you know, right. some guys are not going to make great truckies. They're going to be very good engine firemen and then vice versa. You know, some people, even in the realm of special operations, we're like I say, in my department, we have to have all six disciplines, you know, hazmat extrication, trench, confined space, structure collapse and, and, and rope within all that stuff. My niche is hazmat. I like hazmat. I can I can delve with everything else, but I'm not going to be the guy to teach you or, 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 you know, like be really proficient in it. So but as long as I have the heart to do it and I got the guys to help me continue, I think that's what makes a good farming, because not everybody's going to be perfect at everything. Right. It's just not right. what it is. Right. But heart, you need it because you need passion. And a lot of these guys, a lot of, a lot of the newcomers all have passion, all have something they want to come in, not. Not everybody's coming in for the paycheck. We got a lot of new generation that still want to come to do, but because they were my generation, the Xbox, the Google, the YouTube, they want to know why, 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 why. Right. So we feed their passion by explaining them the whys, not just the hows, not just because this is why we always do it. So open-minded, mental resiliency, physical fitness, um, being a reader, I think that's what makes a good farmer. Okay. All right. Um, your destiny favors the prepared. Uh-huh. How'd that uh, come about? Well, it did start at first with, you know, every business has a catchy slogan. So I was like, you know, thinking from the business aspect. But then again, when I'm like, man, and it also comes from playing Call of Duty and, and hearing <laughs> SAS and saying like, oh, you know, fortune favors the bold or stuff like that. Um, but I noticed that in every heavy rescue company, every special operations military team, they all have a saying that they live by that helps them with their mindset and everything. Right. And I remembered that, you know, the fire service, 10% is luck. And luck and destiny all comes in play with what you make of it too. So that goes back to like reading, training, you know, aligning yourself with right-minded people. You prepare yourself for that. Mm -hmm. You prepare yourself when you prepare yourself for the next career or whatever. When you're taking all all, all these promotional tests, when you're taking the test before that, you're spending months reading the SOPs and stuff like that. And then you score in the top ten or you score in the more whatever number you were. That wasn't luck. That wasn't the destiny. The destiny assisted because you prepared yourself for it. You know, you went, you know, hid yourself in the closet for eight hours a day or go to the library eight hours a day and studied or you know you had a dedicated quiet room. Um, which good luck in my case, as you can see, I don't have a whatsoever. <laughs> the only surprisingly, the other three, I got three dogs. They're quiet because I put them in the kennel. They're all sleeping. <laughs> uh, otherwise, it would have been mayhem. 
but yeah, like the destiny favors are prepared came from what I what I truly believe. Like the only way that I've succeeded so much in my career is because I prepared for it. Right. By exposing myself through training, failing through training, asking questions, you know, challenging the quota and stuff like that, and and try to look at from both fans, being a devil devil's advocate. You know, mm-hmm. always trying to see the uh, opposing point of view, while at the same time trying to look at their point of view and be like, well, this is why we've always been doing it this way and learn to appreciate why we've done certain things a certain way. Um, and that's where it came. Okay. No, I mean, it's 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 definitely well thought out for sure. And and you're right. I mean, all the, all the elite units that we've known from military to fire departments, they always go, they always have a motto or a creed that they live by. Yep. So it's, it's, it's fitting for sure. Um, in your opinion, what do you think the American fire service can improve on? One thing. It's not so, I mean, every, there's always room for improvement in every single thing, whether it's skills or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's mostly if we can improve on standardization, like the, I think Chief Isaacson actually, at one of his conferences, he talks about, you ever go to a Waffle House, whether it's a Waffle House in North Carolina or a Waffle House in Florida, it only takes about three people to do it and you need a cook. A, a waitress and then someone else, right? But you can put people from all different parts of life. You can set up someone from Florida to go to North Carolina and they still do everything the same. Right. Right. Standardization. Every department needs to have some sort of uniqueness. We get that. But standardization on certain specific skills or or, or, or certain things, um, if we can have a standardization of language and stuff like that, I think we can improve that a, a lot. Um, you most of the time see it, even nowadays, even with the NIMS, the National in- in- Incident Management System and everything, when we get deployed for post, you know, uh, post uh, natural disasters, that sometimes there still is a language barrier uh, uh, on the tactics and the terminology and stuff like that, where, hey, we may have to get the first day, we're really just catching up on speed. Like, what do you guys mean when you say this or vice versa? So we can come up with some sort of standardization. I think that's where... I agree with Chief Isaacson there. That's the American service can improve on that. Okay. And last question for you, because I know you got a lot going on. Uh, if you couldn't be on the squad anymore, you have to choose between engine or ladder. Which one? Oh, the truck. Okay. The truck. Because in our case, the truck should be the gateway to to be on the heavy rescue. Uh, um, you still get to do rope rescue calls. You still get to use an elevated master stream, and you still – for the most part, independent operators when like you're splitting the crews for inside versus outside or stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love it all. If you put me in an engine, I'm going to be just as happy being on the knob or, or being the boss to go on an okay. engine. Don't get me wrong. But if you're talking about like fantasy wise, if I'm going to demote off a squad, it's going to be off into a truck. Because <laughs> to me, that anything else is a demotion, no matter what. <laughs> it's, hey, guy, please, America's Fire Service, don't kill me. No, that's just that's just my thing. It's for because for me, our version of the squad, we get to do it all. So gotcha. I get to be a truck without a uh, without a stick. I get to be an engine without LDH. You know, I still have to pull lines. We got a wet rescue. You know, so okay. we're on scene. Okay. Depending on what it is, guess what? We may be fighting fire. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So, but yeah, truck work. Truck work. All right. And then, like I said, that's your opinion, and and I love it. So um. I, I do want to thank you uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to to do this interview. Um, Stephen was like, "Hey, I got a guy you should definitely talk to." So um, it was. Did definitely- he warn you how crazy, like the crazy the the, the lifestyle is? Because he he has a more calmer lifestyle than I do. Yes, yeah, I I don't think he has any kids. 
no, but, no, but that'll change once he has a child for sure. Like they, yeah. they throw a big wrench into the whole mix of your life. So yeah. In a good way though. No, right. he has a dog like as no, he 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 that's why he could at a moment's notice, like this weekend he was with JJ, Jason Juanitas, cutting up poles on the roof. And JJ just asked him this week. Literally just asked him this week, like, hey, can uh, 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 can you do some saw work? And he went up there. I'm like, that's going to change with a kid with me. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. You definitely got to start asking permission once once a child's brought in, for sure, for yeah. everything you want to do. Yes. But, uh, no, nah, it's uh, – I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And the, Sometimes the, the hecticness is what, like, in, inspires you even more because I love that mayhem, like, stress. You ever notice sometimes under pressure – you're either gonna fold or you're gonna shine. Right. And I try to shine. Right. Anyway, so no, no, no. It totally makes sense. Just uh for, for those that don't know, what what's the schedule you guys do there? We do 24 48. 24 48. Okay. Okay. 24, All right. All right. Three platoon system. Okay. Um, like I said, it was a great combo. Um definitely everything saws. Oh, uh a little um Shameless plug for for you to get yourself out there more because I'm sure people people that listen to podcasts and know about the fire service know you, but for those that don't, yeah. Uh, so like I like I said, I own every uh, I own F Stock LLC. Um, we do, the niche class is everything saws. Um, lately now we've been trying to do more like train the trainer. We've actually trying to go to departments and be like, hey, if you want to start a more saw culture, we teach you from. You know, the 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 foundations, like the the teaching, the theory behind two-stroke engines, basic diagnostics, all the way to, like, you know, teaching you specific skills. We're including, like, making job because every every department, they want to have, like, job performance requirements, JPR skill sheets. We're incorporating that as well. Um, but, yeah, like, roll around. We're on social media. Like, I don't have a personal website for the company. I am actually under one of our sister websites or sister companies, Soda City Training with Ryan Gates and Jason Joninas. Okay. Um, which, by the way, listen, Upstate Rogues, which is Eller, Ryan Gates and Jason Joninas is Soda City. Malta Fire Training is Jeff Merwick. East Coast Fire Tactics is Cox. And FSOC LLC is myself. Um, if you ever see us, we're, it, whoever gets the bid is what shirt we're going to wear. So it, a lot of times you see some of the same instructors. We just put on a new shirt. So, But it's the same group of people. Um, so a plug-in for those guys as well, Malta Fire Training, Soda City, Upstate Rogues, myself included. Um, Malta does a lot of through-the-lock forcible entry, Upstate Rogues, uh, same thing, forcible entry and engine work. Um, Soda City really focuses on, on vertical vent, outside truck work. So, and then me, me like, Red and, 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 um, Red and obviously, uh, uh, the saw component of the saw, like body mechanics when dealing with saws. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, that way, uh, if anybody wants to hit you up to get a class going for the department, they know where to go. Yeah, yeah. We do have a Facebook page, so hit me up on Facebook and far on FSOC LC. We're on Instagram as well. And then um reach me whenever. FSOC LC at yahoo.com. All right. Well, there you go. Uh the man, Julio Ramos, Mr. Saws Everything. Appreciate having you on, brother. <laughs> No, bro. Thank you. I appreciate this. Sorry for the little mayhem here today. So, that's fine. It makes it real. Makes it organic. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional.
regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.